What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am one of your hosts, John, and with me, as always, is Daniel Terry. How are you doing this pre-Thanksgiving evening? Well, I'm doing fine. Uh, my uh, my wife's not feeling too well, so we it, it is entirely possible we may end up making uh, Thanksgiving Day tacos because we did not buy anything uh for thanksgiving for the home meal we were gonna we were gonna hit up the uh in-laws and then you know uh the in-law house circuit yeah we ended up buying a ham and a big thing of mac and cheese and some other stuff and then i kind of just wanted to be like to my wife i wanted to be like it's just the two of us like we don't need all of this but whatever so tomorrow we'll have like a (laughs) nine pound ham and like five pounds of mac and cheese <laughs> i mean that that sounds kind of delicious yeah Considering the be. amount of people that live at my house yeah uh that's actually that's actually pretty good so i have a feeling i'll be eating uh some ham sandwiches and leftover mac and cheese for the next handful of days and gaining like more weight that i don't need to have on yeah i feel that i decided to jump back on the diet train today and uh so today, for lunch- today of all days yeah, well, I, I had kind of fallen off it for a couple of days, and I was like, oh, I got to get back on that horse. And now, uh, so yeah, today I was like, oh, I guess uh, for breakfast I'll have some like plain cornflakes, which is fine. And then uh, for lunch I decided to eat like an orange and an apple and a banana. And then I got done eating that, and I was like, wow, I feel like I've eaten nothing at all. <laughs> yeah, that's usually how it is when you start eating healthy. Is you are hungry all the time and usually pretty irritable. <laughs> at least as I usually see. Um, all of that aside, uh, this episode's guest is Wade McNeil. Uh, you probably know him from Alexis on Fire as one of the vocalists and guitar players, also in the Gallows, or in Gallows, not the Gallows, Gallows. Um, I know he's in like a handful of other bands as well. Uh, just a you know master of so many different uh, trades in the music industry, basically. Uh, but he's actually on to talk about his score for the Jay Baruchel film, Random Acts of Violence. It's a horror movie that is out now already, uh, as is the soundtrack uh, score for it. And uh, this was a lot of fun. I obviously, I think uh, if you're around our age, Alexis on Fire is one of probably a band you really love, especially that crisis record. Um, so I mean, getting to talk to Wade was, was really fucking cool. And there's actually a video of that. Uh, if you want to go check out the YouTube version, um, which is on YouTube, obviously. Um, but yeah, we kind of talked all kind of horror movies and scores and soundtracks and stuff. And it was uh, a lot of fun just kind of getting to bullshit about something that I don't really get to talk to uh, many people about uh, just cause I don't really know a lot of people that are into horror movies or, or really pay attention to like who does what, like, you know, Obviously, there's John Carpenter and everyone knows who that is. But, you know, it's like beyond that, there are other people who do equally awesome scoring and composing for horror movies over the last, you know, several decades. Yeah, I mean, I'm one of those people that like will tell you that I'm into horror movies. But if you start asking me director names and stuff like that, I'm just like, oh, I don't know. I guess I just listen to whatever's on the radio. I mean, watch whatever is on, you know, mainstream cinema. Uh, Although I do enjoy the occasional grindhouse film from like the 70s. um, Yeah, it's one of those things where I think I I think I appreciate horror movies but i'm not in the into them in the traditional sense yeah it's it's definitely a thing i know for me personally um it's a little bit harder i know my uh wife's not super into movies so it kind of makes for watching some movies uh, a little bit hard at times and you know something that i you know was really excited about very recently was uh you know when we go travel a lot of times like that's my opportunity to be able to watch a movie I haven't seen. So like the last little bit of traveling we did, I got to watch Dr. Sleep, which a lot of people hated that fucking movie. And I thought it was pretty good as, as good as it could be considering if you like the shining 
you're either a fan of Stephen King's book and you hate the Kubrick movie or you love the Kubrick movie and hate the fucking book. And so with so with both of those being so firmly established with their hardcore fan bases, it was so hard for uh, and I don't remember the director's name uh, to basically have to straddle the line of when you get back to the Overlook Hotel and, you know, basically having to give it the aesthetic that we all know from the original Shining movie, but then also kind of expanding on some of the stories um, that were in the book. It's like there's a very fine line that you have to ride. And I think he did a very good job of doing it. And I thought it was a pretty good movie. Um, I know a lot like there was kind of a scene that was a little tough to watch, like right there in the beginning that I guess got a lot of flack for being in the movie. But I thought it was pretty all right. Um, I finally got to see it. Chapter two. I do think the original it uh, not the original original, but the first it movie was a lot better. I th- and I think even in the, the, the TV-, TV one. No, I'm talking about the new ones that just came out. Um, I finally oh, okay. saw the second one. Oh, so um, when you say the first one, you mean part one. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Chapter yeah. one. Um, but I think for me, the thing that was interesting about both the TV movie and the, the new reboot is I think the one with the kids is honestly the better of each of the two. And I think it's just because there's something, the the sense of innocence maybe of children that when you kind of start doing things to take that away or put that in jeopardy adds a heightened sense of, uh, just a heightened sense basically of like, Oh no, like, you know, children are innocent and they, they can't really help themselves. And, you know, people, you know, I don't know, just, it's, it's kind of hard to watch things happen to children. And, uh, I think both iterations of it, the old, you know, TV movie and the, the reboot, uh, are both really good at, at kind of doing that. Um, I think the second one went a little crazy with the effects to a degree. Um, I don't know, just as a whole, I wasn't feeling that one quite as much. But no, I like horror movies. I just, unfortunately, like I said, my wife's not big on movies, let alone horror movies. So um, the new, uh, the sequel to Train to Busan or Busan, however you pronounce it, uh, just came out very recently. And I'm very excited to see that. Um, it's like Japanese, like uh, zombie horror movie, survival horror movie. Um, so and then there's like a handful of movies uh, coming out of Italy that look pretty good that I've been seeing a lot of people talk about. So there's just a plethora of different stuff. So, I mean, if you're kind of into the genre and I'll, I'll kind of be like, Dan, you know, I can kind of go a little deep with it. But then, you know, I'm not like some of the other people I know and follow that can, you know, tell you about, you know, these French filmmakers from the 70s who put out mm-hmm. these like crazy grindhouse looking films and so forth and and all that kind of stuff that's that's not my wheelhouse so but it was cool talking to wade either way because it seems like he is definitely a student of the scoring and horror genre yeah i was surprised actually that he had so much uh so much knowledge maybe i shouldn't have been surprised but uh but yeah it, it was really interesting kind of kind of getting to hear that deep dive and even kind of turned me on to some things that uh, that maybe I wouldn't have uh, that I wouldn't have checked out on my own. Speaking of checking things out on our own, uh, this is a little bit of a longer chat, so let's get right into it with Wade McNeil, and we will talk to you guys on the other side of it. I have the pleasure of talking to Wade McNeil, guitarist and vocalist of Alexis on Fire, as most of you are going to know him. But uh, today we're actually talking about his upcoming score to Jay Baruchel's directed horror film, Random Acts of Violence, which we'll see a release tomorrow, as of when we're talking, uh, via Dynalone Records. Uh, first of all, how are you doing? Uh, the pre, what is this, pre-Halloween Eve? Yeah, Halloween Eve Eve. Doing pretty good. Devil's, Devil's Night, is that what it's called? Or is that what tonight is? 
devil, de- devil's devil's night right now, technically. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> I, I um, don't know. Yeah, man, I'm good. Uh, it's um, I put out a lot of records on Halloween. Um, fuck, sorry about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just got a new laptop, and I'm getting text messages. Today. Um, oh yeah, it's always fun. So uh, yeah, um, fuck, just totally derailed immediately. First question. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've put out a lot of questions. I've put out a lot of records on Halloween, and it's like um, it's cool to be putting this out specifically because it's like it's a pretty dark score musically, and like especially just to uh, like every musician wants to score a horror film, you know. And uh, to be able to work on this with like a bunch of my buddies, um, it was like such a blast to work on, and really stoked on the way it came out in the end. Well, yeah, I mean, you've kind of actually hit on like five of my questions all there at once. So I'll kind of dissect them piece by piece. But, um, you know, this is the second movie, if I'm not mistaken, that you've worked on with Jay. Uh, the first one being Goon 2 or Goon and The Last of the Enforcers, I believe, is what it's actually called. And, uh, you know, something that I kind of in thinking about this soundtrack after listening or the score after listening to it for the last couple of days is couldn't really be two different kinds of movies to, to score as far as kind of back to back. You know, Goon kind of being more of a, a lighthearted affair, whereas this one you have to really pay attention and add the nuance and suspension and tension that you're, you're literally watching on the screen. Did you find one genre of movie to score to be a little bit easier than the other? Yeah. I mean, I guess kind of like every composing project is really different. And, uh, you know, Jay and I have been having these conversations, um, you know, about music for this film for like the last five years. Like mm. it, it's crazy how much, you know, work and, luck and so many things that go into like pushing a film forward you know so like you know he's like a good buddy of mine so it's like when we have those like music conversations like anybody has with their friends or like oh you heard that like you got to check this out we're always doing that but it's like i feel like we're always mentally like making the playlist for like his next movie Mm. um and so especially with this like you know goon was he had a very specific idea and that lends itself to some pretty epic stuff you know what i mean like he uh he had a like great composer named trevor morris um who does like the score for the vikings mm. um he did all the orchestral score for last two enforcers so like the big kind of classic um orchestra stuff and then i did a lot of the like electronic and kind of rock stuff the a lot more of the like when they're playing like games in the arena mm. you know that stuff but um yeah you know there's there's only so many ways you can go, I think, with that. And it's, like, it's, pretty, it's pretty obvious. Like, you make a song and it just, like, it sticks to the way the picture looks and it makes sense and it helps it, or it's just, like, so fucking wrong. Um, so, uh, like, so, like, I think that was, like, a more, you know, streamlined thing. But for Random Acts, like, we really knew we could go off the deep end. And um, Jay likes a lot of, like, really abrasive music. Um, like loves like like harsh kind of like goth techno stuff like Skinny Puppy and like mm. Frontline Assembly and then like you know there was a bunch of references in we first talked about it like Swans or like the Michael Gira solo stuff which is just really bleak acoustic stuff and um, so I knew like I was going to be able to push the music in a pretty abrasive direction which is pretty fucking cool place to be in um but yeah that's like obviously it kept changing the more we saw the film and uh but but uh yeah it's like it was kind of wide open for everything on this and that's what i think 
allowed it to be so much fun. I think, you know, the interesting thing for me as of when, you know, we're doing this, I've only heard the, the soundtrack. I've not, I've not even seen the trailer because I didn't want to be informed potentially by a scene and listen to the movie or listen to the score and kind of maybe like there's a reference to, you know, what the song titles or whatever be like, oh, that must be for this part or whatever. I just kind of wanted to go in blind and really get a sense of what the mood is. And, you know, it's interesting that with the random act score to hear a movie, like basically hear everything without seeing any visuals to it, but kind of getting a sense of what it is about based on what you're creating sonically. And I have to say, I really dug, you know, basically the diverse nature of the music on here. I mean, the opening track, uh, There Can Be No Beginning, was almost kind of like a Tubular Bells exorcist kind of vibe to me. Maybe that's just something I was putting on it. Um, but then, I mean, like you have various elements kind of throughout, like with electronics and synthwave stuff, kind of like a Cellar Dweller, Scandroid, M83 kind of stuff, even tipping of the cap to like John Carpenter, Johan Johansson and Ben Frost. So what are some of your composing influences uh, that, you know, maybe informed you of where you wanted to go with this well it's cool you brought up the tubular bells thing because um um, you know actually that's one of those things that really changed Mm. is uh in the original script the end scene of the film was supposed to be in a church um Mm. that ended up changing um as you will see when you see the movie um but like so when i read the script originally i was like i really want this this film to be the score to be heavily reliant on like chime and bell mm. but i think there's just something very ominous sonically about that um, that shaker whatever you used in somewhere in the middle of the record i was really fucking creepy <laughs> the, like the and then it like kind of comes back like later on like uh so like you know bells were this thing that we kept talking about and uh and then um there's a large a large part of the main character Todd's like backstory is about this kind of very traumatic event the thing that happened to him at like Christmas time when he was a kid. Mm. So that was kind of like shifting that to like oh this could be like a cool like tubular bells reference, you know, but making it like more minor and dark and um it's kind of like taking I think taking things first out of the script to like reference what the characters are doing and reference what the characters are doing emotionally and, you know, having some sort of anchor in the film, like, um, like that, or, uh, uh, I wanted to, uh, to like play a huge fucking knife as if it was like an instrument, like, like, <laughs> like get a big, huge hunting knife and like drag it across like the hood of a car or something like that. Tried that. Didn't sound very good. Um, Do you, sorry to cut you off. Do you have a collection of sounds that you just will bank on? Like just weird, whatever, maybe even like walking in the snow and then I'll re-loop it backwards and it sounds like a really cool whatever. Yeah, I mean like, so I think to try and like grab some stuff like that specific to what I'm working on that makes sense, you know, like, um, and so like for this, like what I found that ended up this, this sound that's like, it's in the Slacker Man theme a bit. It's, it's kind of throughout the whole film is like put a, like a electric guitar in a super weird tuning and then like bowed it really violently with a violin bow. And then like, like uh process the fuck out of it with a bunch of delay and reverb. But it like, it sounds like, I don't know, it's to me, it sounds like a am <laughs> like, so kind of assigning certain sonic things like that, you know, to kind of like create this world that doesn't really exist. And right. then, yeah, there's certainly some things that, um, you know, some of the things you mentioned that, you know, I think uh, John Carpenter has created some of the most iconic horror music like ever. I'm a huge fan of his and. So there's a cool way to, I think, to reference some of that, you know, like his, he's like the blueprint he's created for like horror scores is like, it's in almost every horror movie, whether people know it or not, you know, these things that 
did on his films are like the building blocks of like how people hear scary music. So yeah. there's certainly like a bit of that, you know, it's like, I definitely love the like Friday the 13th, like snare drum with like delays on it. Like that, like shot, 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 shot thing. And, um, and then uh, like, especially there's a ton of vocal stuff in here, like layered vocal stuff. Um, mm. And that's like, a, I think the scariest stuff that's in the shining is all from this orchestral piece called oh, Maggette. Is that what's and at like, the end of the movie? Toward the end? Yeah. 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 It's just like, it's all mostly just voice, this mm-hmm. huge choral thing. And, and it's horrifying. And so like <laughs> trying to, you know, I think trying to like stack a lot of that, like layer a lot of like um, like voice in, uh, in the thing, like in one way, I think remind me of this kind of like Christmas time era where this like traumatic stuff that the film's all based around is in there. And then also just like, yeah, I think, you know, looking at these movies like The Shining or or Halloween or or Friday the 13th, uh, these, these certain things in those films, like what is like freaks me out? What are those musical moments that I think are really cool? But also like, you know, start to make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. And how can I incorporate that in a way that's like, but new and like you know not just photocopying yeah i I think that was kind of the the really interesting thing is at times they're maybe this isn't the word to use but at times and i felt like that was the interesting thing about listening to it and just literally throwing it on not paying attention to any of the, the song titles whatever just literally throwing it on and kind of seeing where it took me is at times it's very ominous and, and sinister sounding, but then there's like almost like parts, like just little pieces of like hope and brevity before it kind of takes you back under. And it's really like one of those where I feel like that's kind of like a, a benchmark of a really great horror movie and a really great score is that as horrible as whatever you're seeing is at certain parts, you're like, okay, maybe, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe it's, we're going to be okay. And then here comes everything just to rip you fucking back down again. And you're like, ah, fuck. (laughs) And I think that the score did a really good job just sonically as its own, did a great job of capturing that vibe very well of making you feel like you're traversing through some heavy shit. Also probably helped that I was driving in the middle of the, or uh, early in the morning in the dark to a pretty sketchy part of town for my job. So I also was like, yeah, this seems like fitting for uh, where I'm about to park my car. Well, I mean, that's like definitely one of the cool things about, you know, listening to scores, like, and why I definitely was like pushing to, to get this released is like, I love listening to scores, like driving and, and listening to a score is, you know, cause you can separate it from the movie in certain aspects or like, you know, or even like the polar opposite of what you said is like, you could be going for a walk and it's like nice and sunny out, but like listening to this like macabre music and it's like <laughs> everything seems weird all of a sudden. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think what you just touched on about the kind of like light and dark of the music is it's definitely something I I think I've probably picked up from playing in bands. Yeah. And, that, and especially in heavy bands is you can't just like come out of the gate and have it be just like full out all the time because eventually it stops being impactful. Right. You know? It's that space like in in music that like actually makes it have a punch. Mm. You know, like if it's just if it's just blast beats all the time like eventually it just is sound soft you know like and uh so i think like the soundtrack equivalent of that is like by yeah teasing in things that are more like melodic or not necessarily happy but you know somber or emotional and then so when it's that like when it's time for somebody to get their head cut off <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
you know, it's kind of funny you bring that up, uh, you know, working with the bands. I actually had a question that was, and I guess it can go either way, um, honestly, but has working on scoring either affected how you write songs now for Alexis on Fire or Gallows or whatever else it is you're doing or vice versa? Has something that maybe you had done previously in any of those bands informed an idea or a direction you wanted to go in uh, when scoring? I think uh, probably, I think it's probably gone both ways. I think because when I first started scoring, you know, like uh, my reference point was not like as a person that's not a classically trained musician, as the person that's been writing heavier records for the last, you know, 15 years. You know, when I started working on Goon, I was like thinking, you know, what would be cool as if like this part sounded like I want to be your dog or like <laughs> holiday in Cambodia, you know, and it's like, so I think those are kind of the reference points I usually go to. And I certainly listen to like a huge scope of music and, and everything. But, um, but I think maybe those references are like a little bit more like, yeah, punk and hardcore metal related, even if I'm just like dissecting them and end up doing them on a synth. Um, so I think at first, you know, playing in bands was completely the way it influenced uh, the stuff that I was working on. And also, I think probably led to me doing more composing. Because it, it did sound like the stuff I was doing sounded different than a lot of other people's stuff. Um, and uh, and then vice versa, you know, like I've been doing a lot of scoring the last five years, like a, like film and TV and video games and stuff. And um, the last song Alexis put out, Season of the Flood, um, which is this very long, drawn out, like nine minute thing. Um, you know, everybody left the studio and I was like fucking around with some guitar stuff. And then... Uh, you know, everybody came in the next day and I was like, okay, I've made like two minutes of noise <laughs> at the beginning. And everyone was like, fucking sick. And that is like 100%. I think, you know, if you, if you, if you like maybe do one of my scores or think about me doing that kind of work and you go back and listen to Season of Flood, you know, the beginning of that song is like very cinematic sounding. So I think that stuff is definitely a lot of those tricks and like things that I've learned how to do in scoring films, like definitely got applied to that. So I think they both kind of inform each other at this point. And it's like, yeah, it's cool to bring those ideas to the bands. And it's fun to like bring those band ideas to the films. Well, it's kind of funny because leading up to this, something I was thinking of almost immediately that struck out to me, and I don't honestly, I don't know the songwriting of who wrote what, but a song like You Burn First, I was like, that seems very kind of cinematic feeling, like the way it just kind of ominously kind of comes in with your vocal and then it kind of builds to what it is. And it kind of was like, I feel like this is a Wade song. I feel like this is something he kind of slowly built and, you know, kind of cascades toward the end and all that kind of stuff because of how big it feels and how like it feels like there it's a, it's a story of sorts moving forward. And uh, was one of those where, you know, like I was like, huh, I wonder how much of like him doing these things has influenced one or the other. So good to know. I, I, I think I'm taking, I think I get a lot of misplaced credit for you burn first um, you? that I usually just, I usually accept. I mean, like certainly like I, you know, like wrote a lot for that song, but the real skeleton of it is like written by Dal. Um, okay. Just like, I think he went to a lot of Nine Inch Nails. And then mm. what I think a lot of people assume because uh, of the way it sounds, but it's not me singing that song either. It's uh, Garrett O'Donnell from Planes Was Taken for Stars. Mm. And okay. uh, and I think uh, if people think it sounds like me, it's probably because I was just, I've been trying to sing like Garrett for years. 
<laughs> Everybody, I mean, indirectly, I'm sure anybody who has a deep, raspy voice, they just it, you all get lumped together. Yeah, we're trying. We're either trying to sing like Garrett or we're trying to sing like Chuck from All Water. You know, the few. <laughs> Um, you know, kind of, again, kind of speaking to just the overall career you had, um, something that's kind of, I was kind of thinking about is within the decades long career you've had at this point, what separate challenges have you learned about in doing scoring versus writing, uh, for a band? Um, like at any point, has there maybe been a song that you were writing for one project that became something you ended up using pieces of for a score or even vice versa? Yeah. Well, I mean, some things just never seem to fit. You know, mm. you've got these riffs that just won't seem to go away or, or never find the right place. And um, so I think a lot of those little ideas certainly can work themselves into like the film and TV stuff, because the amount of music we need to make for that is like pretty astronomical. You know, I think the big shift in like the change was me thinking about writing songs to like being like, okay, I need to write 80 minutes. Like it stopped being about like an idea or, or something and it starts being about just like this huge breadth of time. And are uh, you, sorry, like, are you referencing more of, cause we've talked about this on the podcast a couple of times, like when you're writing a record and a label tells you, you need something that's at least blank amount of time or, and, or a certain amount of songs. Is that what you're referencing? No. I mean, like, I think Alexis has been very fortunate and just like the people we've um, worked with from the start of the band and, um, maybe our own just stubbornness, um, but we've <laughs> done whatever the fuck we wanted. Um, but that being said, our songs are long enough. We haven't had to sweat. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but I think just like, but, you know, even though I say like, I don't have to worry about writing a record too short, it's still been only like one fourth of the amount of music I would need to create for a film or something mm. like that. So, um, yeah, I guess it's, uh, they're like very, very, very different things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely like a learning curve, you know, like a big one, but you know, it's something that's like very enjoyable to work on. So, excuse me. Um, you know, this, you've been working with uh, Andrew McPherson. I, I believe that's how you say his name. McPherson. Yeah. Okay. Um, for other stuff, a, how did you guys meet and what is it that, you know, you guys found in working with each other that makes you consistently come back to working with each other? Um, he worked on goon in an editing uh, capacity. Um, so he had like a, um, like a film editing background. Um, and then one thing just like led to another. And then, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. We've like worked on a few things together and, uh, I think we've worked on enough things together that we won't be doing it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) fair enough. (laughs) I was going to say, I mean, like, it, it, it seems like you guys kind of have like a, a, I mean, you mentioned Nine Inch Nose a couple seconds ago, like a, a Trent Atticus kind of vibe where you're able to work so well together, but make really interesting, diverse music for the specific project, whether, you know, when Trent Atticus's point, whether it's a score for, you know, like the social network or even doing Nine Inch Nails stuff or, uh, fuck, I'm totally blanking on the other band that basically started that working relationship. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's one of those, that it, it's just kind of interesting to, when you find a, a group of people or a duo basically that are able to just create so much diverse things, it's it's really kind of interesting to see how they find each other and how they work. Yeah. I mean, definitely met each other through Barishel. Um, did some cool shit. And uh, it's a wrap on that. Fair enough. <laughs> um, 
I do, you know, I was kind of thinking, you know, as I, I was thinking more back to like scores and, and, you know, like some of the, my favorite ones, like Terminator two is one of my favorite uh, soundtracks scores um, growing up. I used to have it on a cassette cause I was a nerd. Um, but you know, something I was thinking of is how hard is it to make something that is matching or setting a tone for what you're visually seeing, but also not taking away or overpowering the visual that you're supposed to kind of be setting the bed for. Yeah. I mean, like that's certainly a problem sometimes is uh, cause like the most important thing is like pushing the story forward and what's happening like on the film. Like you can certainly help that and maybe add to it from time to time, but there's certainly parts where like the music needs to be carpet. Mm. Like it needs to be, needs to be tucked under or it can't like, clash with what's going on emotionally and um and so yeah like it does need to be pulled back you know and uh like it's a like trial and error for sure you know because um yeah just like the tone of things like you know you think uh you think like oh this could be something interesting and then you see it again like against the, the picture and you're like oh this looks like fucking this sounds like someone's going like driving downtown to kill somebody that's <laughs> happening on the screen so yeah i mean it is certainly like some trial and error and then it's like you know it's working with the director and uh hopefully the director and especially jay um is like a very big music guy um and like cares a lot about that and knows a lot about music so um he certainly helps that process and um you know it's like it's a big like there's a lot of people that like need to come together to make a film happen and yeah. so if you've got the right people working on it, like, you know, everyone kind of helps like chime in with those thoughts and, uh, and um, yeah, it gets there in the end. Hmm. You know, I, uh, with all the things that you've worked on, aside from just the music side of things, you know, radio and all that kind of stuff is directing yourself, like doing something in a directing capacity, something you're interested in doing, or are you kind of more one that just wants to kind of do as much as you've done, seeing how much bullshit has to go into getting something even financed, approved, made, and all the other shit. I think I'd probably be more interested in writing something, Hmm. Um, but I don't know. I think, you know what, like having to work on all these different things. The one thing it it showed me is like, um, obviously I'm really passionate about music and it's my life, but I think what I like the most is like working with other creative people and like making something together, you know? So I think like the same, like the same enjoyment, I think could definitely be got out of like writing on something or like, um, I don't know. Yeah. You know, like maybe I could direct a music video. Maybe we should start there. Lower, yeah, there you go. lower level. <laughs> I'll tell you, press me the fuck out. Was, uh, um, I act in the movie like I'm a radio host in the film, and that's like Big the stretch. Most... <laughs> I know it's not even. It's like, <laughs> it's like it's not even a reinvention. But fuck that fucking. I was that was like the most stressful thing I've ever done. That's funny considering how many music videos you've done. Where I'm sure you're like okay. Here's like, cause I mean, you know, and I'm not super big on, uh, you know, movies or anything like that, but it's like, you know, I know like there's the, here's like your single lens coverage. Here's a wide shot. Here's this, like, here's where you need to be for coverage for somebody else's shot. If you're in the shot or whatever. So I feel like the transition, at least from doing as many music videos as you've been a part of low, low budget to however big they've, you know, actually gotten, but I feel like at least it would be a little bit more easier. Like you would understand what a mark is and how to like, you know, not necessarily follow a camera if it's a panning shot or things like that. But to hear you say like, Oh, it was still, it was like one of the most stressful things I've done. It's like, really, that's fucking interesting. Yeah. I mean, like certainly I I suppose that stuff probably having done all that stuff would have put me on ease a little bit more, you know, like, 
just having been in front of cameras and like, you know, maybe even just like standing around working in front of a bunch of people, but very different thing from like throwing your guitar around uh, (laughs) to me, like sitting down with like Jesse Williams and like having a like conversation where I tear a strip off of him for like nine minutes straight. (laughs) Very much so. I guess that is, that is very accurate difference in uh, what's going on. I was like so stressed out about it. I didn't eat breakfast. And then I like, we like, where Jay was like, I think we got it. Like guys, guys come watch this. So we're all sitting around and it's like, like Jesse Williams. And then Jordana Brewster is like his partner. And she's like watching the scene. So it's like the three of us are like watching on the camera, but it's silent because we're just watching the camera play back. And then my stomach like really is like grumbling, like audibly very loud in this completely silent situation because I haven't eaten anything at all today. And I was just like, people are pretending to not happen. And then I, that's still, <laughs> I didn't eat this morning. I was really stressed. um one of the last questions i have for you just because uh it's been an interesting question to ask everybody especially creative people um what have you been up to during this pandemic um obviously touring isn't really a thing that you can do uh potentially actually going and recording in studios i I see videos of people doing it but it seems very limited so it's not like necessarily a full band it's whoever's recording their parts that day kind of doing stuff uh what have you been doing and uh will we maybe see something from you uh out of this time that you've had? Yeah, I think uh, probably because I've been by myself for so long, um, I wrote a ton of like kind of cozy acoustic songs, mm. um, like a lot. Like, I wrote like 20. Um, and uh, so I'm actually going into the studio um, on Monday, like this coming Monday, to record. And I guess it's like, you know, like a bit of a like soft Neil Youngish kind of like record. Um, I would almost say Americana, but I can't because you're Canadian. Yeah, you know, half of the guys in the band were Canadian, and they're like the go-to for Americana. So I don't know. We're involved in it somehow. Um, so uh, you're so polite. Yeah, man. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna like like uh, record a cozy rock record with. Uh, as you said, it's kind of a bit weird in studios. So I'm like recording with my buddy Danny, who's just like can play every instrument wonderfully. So. Between the two of us, uh, we're gonna knock it all out, and uh, um, yeah, that, and hopefully, uh, when the snow starts falling, hopefully, get together with the Alexis dudes when we get locked down for winter and uh, work on some new stuff. Fair enough. Always, it's just kind of interesting because, like, you have some people who, in doing this, they've said like just enjoying the time off because you know some people have been like, I've been either in the tour, tour, tour album or record album cycle thing just for you know 15, 20 years, so. It's kind of nice having all this time off, even though I'm getting a little itch to create something. But, you know, adversely, you have other people who are like, I'm so fucking antsy to go do something. I have like, you know, talking with Ben from uh, Converge the other day, he was like, so Mutoid Man's got a bunch of shit read- written. We just got to go record it. Converge has got some new shit. We just got to go record it. I've been working on some new shit with other people. And so you see some people just go so far to the other realm where they're like, I just have all I need to do whatever just to be creative during this time because I'm going to go fucking crazy. It's been good, though, I think, like, in that respect, because, you know, I mean, so many, like, musicians you know, you just burn yourself out really bad. And then you go like, okay, I need to take some time. And like, I'm guilty of this too. And say, I like, be like, okay, I'm not going to go on tour for like a couple months, not going to do anything for a couple months. But like in those months off, you like end up starting another band or like, you know, you do something like, right. fuck, like 
Tom Alexis did the funniest one last year where he was just like, I'm taking a full year off. And he's like, he tours more than fucking anybody. Like, and he just like, he's like such a workhorse. And uh, he was like, you know, like really needs it. And we're all just like, thank you. Fuck, please do yourself a favor. And then he was just like, started a record label. And then uh, like produced and played on like the first band he signs like album. And then just like, it just kept going. And then he's like, I've written a lot of Alexa stuff. And then I was just like, man, your wife should be mad at us. But <laughs> I have one but last question. He's chilled it the fuck out finally, because he has to. I have one last question, and then I'll have you plug socials and all that kind of stuff. Uh, this is just something as a longtime Alexis fan um, that I've kind of wondered, just given the nature of the band's legacy at this point, you know, I'm in mid my mid-30s at this point, so the band is kind of a, like, I kind of grew up with all of you, like, roughly around the same age. Is it interesting to see what the band's legacy has turned into once you guys came back? Like, ha- has any of that shocked you at all? Or is it one of those where you kind of were like, fuck, like, where were all of you toward, you know, the end when we really kind of could use the big push to get over the hump of whatever the next level may be for you guys? I think it's like the most surprising thing and it continues to like surprise me. And mm. You know, for us to like stop playing and then come back and have it be bigger is like such a brain breaker. Um, and it's, uh, I don't know, it's its really, it's weird to think about, you know, legacy or stuff like that when, when it's my own stuff. You know? When you're still adding to it too. I hear people say stuff like that and it's like, I understand it, but it's, um, I guess it's hard to take a step back and view it, but it's, it's like, it's definitely easier to appreciate it these days and like, be really grateful because we're not touring nonstop because we'll go and do like two weeks. And then I think like it really allows us to be like present and like enjoy it. And it's, uh, I don't know. It's like, it's, it's pretty mind blowing. And I think I'm still a little bit surprised every time we do something that it's like, like, you know, like, because it just like, it's somehow keeps getting better, you know, like, you know, like the fact that we can, that we're playing, like we did like a tour before like COVID happened, like last, like the end of January. And it's like, we're playing the hockey arenas in Canada. And it's like, it's just like, I don't know. I still feel like, uh, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) It's like, I really don't have the words for it. It's like, it's something that's been, you know, like my entire life this point like we started the band when we were like just turning 17 um so it's like a really cool thing that it's still a part of our lives you know like the fact that the guys i like grew up skateboarding with and going to punk shows were now skateboarding around uh the bell center before the doors open up for the show <laughs> yeah it's it's been you know something that kind of made me think about that is in the last shit this year's kind of just gone by so my time frame might be slightly off but i'll say in the last two years you know one of my favorite bands is every time i die and you know in the last toward the end of the album cycle for low teens getting to see them i was uh here in michigan we were one of the first the only four dates that they did on the fallout boy tour playing arenas and i went paid more money than i probably will ever pay to go see every time i die just to see them in an arena because i was like this shouldn't happen it's not because they're not good it's not because they don't make good music it's just that kind of a band isn't really an arena band you know sure 
they're they're very much a right on top of everybody and and that's kind of where their environment is and they wanted to see if it would translate in an arena setting and they tried as much as they could but when you got a 20-foot barricade in front of you and literally seats and moms and shit and people who probably have no idea who they are it was really tough um yeah, to sure. then see them like two a month later opening for mastodon and coheed in sheds was another one where i was like well fuck i gotta go see that because again a band that I wouldn't expect to be in that situation. And the music definitely works, but it's not necessarily, again, it's not their crowd per se. So it's really interesting to see when bands you grew up with and bands that you used to see in your local 200, 300, 400 cap rooms now suddenly get to this big thing. It's like, how does that traverse? How does that translate? I should say. And how are you as the musicians able to go, well, fuck, we're used to playing the, these size rooms. Now we have to take what we do and put it into an arena and make it bigger. And sometimes I feel like in your situation where maybe you went away and you weren't quite at that level and then you come back and now you are, if it makes you just approach and think of things completely differently, because you're like, shit, now we have to put together an arena level show versus just like throwing and go put it in we're in a sweaty club who gives a fuck it's about the energy it's a definitely a different journey for sure but i think like with alexis like it was always this gradual building thing um that just kept like getting a little bigger and a little bigger and we just kept touring our asses off but as you said like there is like a different like you know there is a different thing like from the festivals we used to play before we like went before we broke up and like when we started playing again we came back we were headlining those festivals right so like the like you know i mean i think our show like grew and like got bigger and like the way we approach things but um yeah it's certainly at a different level and i think it's you need to put like it yeah i mean the person at the back of the like in the nosebleeds can't see fucking anything there's just a bunch of strobe lights and super distorted guitars and us running around like you know you need to do more so it's like starting to involve like yeah like more video stuff like like really starting to you know like our lighting dude stumpy who's been with us for like the last five years is like fuck man like he's probably he's probably more important than i am in the band (laughs) well i mean if you keep smashing those gibsons of course you will be (laughs) um and uh so like yeah just i think yeah and also just like yeah trying to surround yourself with people too that's just like having yeah like having someone like doing lights it's like it's it's a huge part of the show you know like it's it's like it's as important as everything else and so like you start to you need to start like next leveling that stuff for sure and uh, you know i mean fucking we're very far away from like flying lamborghini I'm at the Square Garden break type vibes, floating Kanye stayed, but you know, dude, that was uh, an amazing. Did you see that tour, the Life of Pablo tour with the yeah, floating stage? Fucking, that is one of my so favorite crazy. shows I've ever seen. Yeah, man, what a show! Um, I guess we'll end it there with Kanye uh, and floating yeah, stage. That'll be what you can aspire to. Um, that would be interesting to see you guys all on a floating platform. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, you have to play it upside down and float. (laughs) Um, Where can everyone find you or whatever uh, outlet of whatever you're doing that you want to plug? Uh, Where can everyone find you? Uh, At Wade McNeil on Instagram at Wade underscore McNeil on Twitter. I think I got Wade McNeil on Twitter like years ago and I just like could never figure out the password. (laughs) So uh, unfortunately there's the underscore in there. Um, And then, uh, yeah, just uh, we got this soundtrack coming out, uh, the vinyl, and it'll be online like on Spotify and all streaming services as of tomorrow for Random Acts of Violence. And then, yeah, 
hopefully the world builds itself and I get to play some more punk rocks. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for taking the time. It was a pleasure and uh, looking forward to everyone hearing the soundtrack. And I'm looking forward to seeing this movie now that I have an idea of where the score is going to take me. Cool. Thanks so much, John. Yeah, thank you. So this is my conversation with Wade McNeil. Uh, had a lot of fun talking about that. And obviously, you know, had to get in some Alexis on Fire uh, conversation toward the end. I felt kind of like an asshole there at the end when I thought, you know, on You Burn First, I always thought that was Wade. So the fact that he was like, no, that's not me. <laughs> and uh that's you funny. you know a lot of people have made that comment that they thought it was me doing it and it's not and i was like oh well shit oh, my bad uh how do i how do i rewind the last five minutes yeah <laughs> i don't know i mean i have sometimes i think it's funny like when i make errors like that like there are some people who'd be like how did you not know and then it'd be like for every five of those you might have a hundred people be like i didn't know that either i always thought it was him too I learned something new today. Yeah. Yeah. Alexis on fire. Great band. Hopefully uh, see some more stuff coming from those guys. Sounds like there's maybe something kind of in the works a little bit. Uh, obviously we waited a little bit too long uh, to get this out, but uh, if you follow him on Instagram, seeing that he already finished recording his uh, solo album, uh, I think he finished it in seven days or something like that. Seven or 10 days. So super quick. Uh, looking forward to seeing what he does. Be interested to see what a, especially with the scoring that he's done and, and all the bands he's a part of it. It'll be really interesting to see where he goes uh, with this. Um, don't know if we're going to kind of get uh, as much of a surprise as, uh, and what we're going to be doing here in a second, uh, Morgan Rose's EP uh, where it's, there's definitely stuff on there that I don't think is what you're going to expect uh, coming from the drummer from, you know, seven dust and what he's most known for in that band. But uh, we're going to watch that here in just a second. But uh, to kind of wrap up this episode with Wade, uh, if you like keep up with Wade on Instagram and Twitter, it's Wade McNeil. As you sort of heard the story, he forgot what his Twitter login is. So the Twitter version is just with an underscore in between the names. Uh, it's all in the show notes. Uh, Random acts of violence is out now, both the score and the movie. Um, I finally got to see the trailer for it the other day and it looks pretty fucking cool. Um, kind of has like i don't know there's a handful of movies it kind of looks like and reminds me of but i, I don't know if it's going to be like any of them at all so I'm, I'm actually really excited to watch it maybe with the extra couple of days off i'll uh dig into that uh this weekend and uh dan will tell you where he can be dug into on the internet oh yeah i can be dug into all kinds of places uh twitter at discuss metal dan uh you can find my other podcast discography discussion at discussmetal.com and uh my other podcast discuss metal is also there um, you can find me on Twitch, which if you're watching me right now, uh, then you, you already found me. Good job. And uh, but yeah, it's under under the name Discuss Metal. I stream multiple times a week. Uh, sometimes I'm playing video games. Sometimes I'm recording podcasts. It really just depends. But uh, yeah, definitely uh, give me a follow over there. And, uh, you know, you can also find me at, you know, Bruce Speak Pod. You know, we're I, I'm, I'm, I'm here, too. I'm currently here the place that I'm here at. <laughs> well, uh, what's the old Brady Bunchism? Wherever you go, there you are. Yes. <laughs> every day <laughs> every day i'm exactly where i am yep and uh if you would like to keep up with all things this podcast is simple enough brucepeakpod.com it's the landing page for everything actually will take you if you would like and go through the pages uh you'll see discography discussion you'll see the talk to me podcast you'll see the good company podcast um we want to share uh some podcasts that we listen to and our friends doing awesome things so check out the website 
put a lot of work into it. And uh, yeah, the YouTube version. Uh, go over to YouTube. We actually passed our 300 subscribers. So probably in the next couple of days, maybe Saturday, uh, I'll pick a random winner for that uh, Wawa gift card and uh, get you your information so I can have uh, Ross over at Enjoy the Ride Records uh, get you the uh, 10% off code for some vinyl over there. Um, putting out some really cool yeah. stuff. They just re-released uh, some Mortal Kombat soundtracks from the games. Nice. Uh, Saw that they have a few other things that they're kind of in the works on. So lots of cool stuff over there. And uh, really appreciate Ross uh, doing that. We had him on a long time ago for one of our live casts. So a lot of fun. Great dude. Great label. Uh, go check him out regardless. EnjoyTheRideRecords.com. And speaking of other uh, plugs and people that we want to support, obviously our sponsors. We can't forget those. Uh, head on over to Rockabilia.com where they have over 500,000 items in their online store. Uh, by the time you hear this Black Friday and all that kind of stuff will already have happened. But, you know, they always have great deals uh, going on. And we have a code. Brew 15 gets you 15% off your total purchase order. You don't ever have to worry about the integrity of the products you're getting. They're all 100% licensed through the band. So you're supporting the bands, you're supporting Rockabilly, you're supporting us. Um, so all of that is greatly appreciated. Again, rockabilly.com, use our code Brew15, get 15% off your total purchase order. The Bean Bastard, go to the beanbastard.com, get you some delicious coffee. I was actually looking at a uh, RJ City's uh, making coffee in his underwear uh, show that he does on Sundays, uh, and he actually had some Bean Bastard on. So we talked about it when we had RJ City on this podcast a long time ago, and it looks like they finally were able to get him some coffee. Um, and I saw that he's following the Bean Bastard as well. So head on over to Instagram, Facebook, the Bean Bastard, and uh, let them know that we sent you. Buy some coffee; it's all very delicious, I think. And uh, last but not least, on point, Paul made. Didn't do my hair today, but that's okay. Uh, I'm going to make another little uh, video here, I think, now that I've kind of got an idea. Um, so you can actually see how well the the premium pomade actually works. Um, I don't really need to put anything else in it other than just the pomade, and it lasts for most of the day, if not into the next. And with it being water-soluble, the nice thing is, too, is you can kind of just put a little bit of water in your hair the next day and just kind of reshape it, and it looks really good still. So uh, I love it. The beard oil has actually been pretty good. I was kind of bummed my wife knocked over the bottle the other day and spilled out about half the contents. Uh, hmm. So that sucked, but our bathroom smelled really good. And uh, yeah, if you use our code BSP15, you'll get 15% off your total purchase order. Holidays are right around the corner. So not only are we saving you some money, but hey, get some gifts, put them in the stockings. People will love it. Maybe buy Dan, you know, a new Cannibal Corp shirt or something. On uh, I definitely know. need one. This one's starting to get holes in it. Uh, I think that makes it more cool and more vintage. But if you would like to buy a new one, potentially just go to Rockabilia and then you're all set. And uh, for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John. And I am Dan. And we will talk to you all next time.